Good morning, Hub City Church family. We're so glad you've decided to join us in worship this morning. If you're new to our church, we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like more information about our vision, or you want to get connected through community groups, or if you'd like to find an opportunity to serve, you can text the word Hub City to 97000 and we'll follow up with you in the next few days. Easter is one week away. We hope you are making plans to join us for our Good Friday night of worship, this coming Friday at 6 p.m. On Easter Sunday, we will have service with lunch and activities afterward in the backyard. Hub City Church Apparel is available for sale in the lobby today. And now, as we're about to enter into corporate worship, if you're concerned about having little ones in service with you, we want you to be at ease. We love kids and have a lot of them here. There are coloring sheets in the back of the sanctuary. Our kids' ministry is always available to you. And we have a nursing mother's room with our service streaming live just outside the lobby to the left. Again, we're glad you're here. Let's worship Jesus together. All right. Well, how are we doing? Good? All right. Jesus is good. I love worshiping Jesus with you guys every week. Uh, my name is Tad Anderson, and I am the lead teaching pastor at the Hub City Church. And so just on behalf of our church family, uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, uh, we are so thankful that you are here. Um, hopefully you felt that from our our kids' ministry and our hospitality team and, and just everybody who you interacted with on your way in. We really, truly are glad that you are here this morning. Um, just a few announcements for us before we get to the Word. Um, the first thing is I want to celebrate Easter in the Park, our Easter in the Park outreach. Yesterday, it was awesome, okay? Um, there were, someone just told me before I stepped up here that we had uh, more people serving in that outreach reach than are here in this room this morning. I think that's because they're probably tired from that, but uh, that's, that's okay. We'll see them on Easter next week. Um, I think we had, man, we had to have had, I don't know, 30 plus volunteers out there, which is just amazing. Um, as always, city officials, um, Mayor Witten, Chance, the event organizer, Parks and Rec, that crew, man, they were just so grateful. And that's a big aspect of why we do uh, outreaches like this, or we partner together with the city, um, because we want to make a good reputation for Jesus and his church here in Crestview. And uh, man, we got into a lot of conversations about who we are and why we were out there uh, because of the gospel. And uh, a lot of folks were invited to Easter Sunday, so it was really a win all around. Really, really good. Um, so yeah, just want to celebrate that uh, first and foremost. The second thing is uh, just our Easter schedule coming up next week. So we do have um, a Good Friday night of worship. Um, and so that's going to be at 6 p.m. Child care will be provided uh, ages birth through first grade. So uh, we tried to eliminate the hurdle. Uh, we know child care can be difficult with a lot of our folks because um, we have a lot of kids. And so um, anyway, so there will be child care for those ages that need a little extra attention. Uh, so please come and join us. It's going to be great, probably about an hour long, um, where we're just going to be reflecting, honestly, on the death of Christ on our behalf um, that night and singing to that effect. So please join us for that. And uh, please join us for Easter Sunday. It's going to be 10 a.m., a 10 a.m. service. Um, as, as always, we're going to have an egg hunt in the back, and lunch will be provided uh, for free as well. Um, pulled pork, right, because we're Gentiles on Easter, and that's a good, that's a good thing. We love, 
uh, barbecue, so we're going to eat that barbecue to the glory of God and praise Christ for it. It's going to be good. Please join us. Um, man, we have um, lots of invite cards in the back um, and at the connection desk, and so please take some of those, invite someone to Easter um, this upcoming Easter Sunday. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, that's what they're there for. Those cards are there, that evangelism tube, you can see the green, the green ping pong balls are nearing the, nearing the top, so we've shared the gospel, we've invited people over a hundred times um, at this point. And so, man, why not fill that thing up for Easter? I think that would be um, really awesome. And so anyway, if there's someone in your life who you know uh, really needs to hear the gospel, really needs to hear about Jesus, man, maybe a way that they would be willing to uh, kind of ease into that, dip their toe in the water would be to join you for church uh, on Easter Sunday. So maybe, maybe invite someone, a neighbor, a friend, a family member. We'd love to have them with us next Sunday. All right. Uh, the last thing, uh, I need to make an apology um, to my fellow note-takers. Uh, <laughs> we did not have paper bulletins today. My sincerest apologies. I'm a note-taker as well. Um, but if you have the Church Center app, you can uh, download that. There's a link to our digital notes. Or if you'd like to go to this website right now, uh, thehubcitychurch.org backslash sermons. If you go there, you will see the first thing at the top of the page is this week's sermon notes, and uh, you can read those notes and follow along. You can make your own notes there, and you can email them to yourself. So I uh, hope that's a consolation. Uh, if you're like, no, it's not good enough. I need a paper bulletin. Then uh, they'll be back next week, okay, <laughs> with our new branding on it. So, All right. Well, if you are uh, just now joining us or if you need a little refresher, on where we are in the Bible, we're in a series called Get Wisdom that's largely drawn out of the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is a super important book of the Bible for anyone who desires to live a godly and well-ordered life uh, as it offers a ton of like bite-sized sayings that aid us in day-to-day -day wisdom for Christian living. So to, to boil that down, we've said that this is a series that's really just focused on spiritual growth. Uh, that said, while we are a church that aims to preach expositionally, that is through entire books and texts of Scripture in order, uh, in order and in context, Proverbs um, does not play well by that rule, okay? In order to wring Proverbs out for all that it's worth, you have to pull uh, multiple Proverbs together on each topic that you want to cover because um, each one is kind of like a, like a piece of the puzzle, right? Uh, and when you synthesize them all together, you get a better grasp on the whole idea. Um, also, um, Proverbs, while you can read it by itself, and I do uh, suggest that you do read it uh, each day, there's 31, so enough for every day of the month, but uh, while you can read it by itself and get some great insight, it really works best when you integrate your reading in Proverbs um, with the whole counsel of God, right? So we've um, tied in a lot of scripture uh, in this series, not to take away from the wisdom of Proverbs, but to bolster the wisdom of Proverbs. And today, that's really the direction that we're going to be going in. Uh, the, the topic that I'm going to cover this morning is the most important thing that we will cover in this series on wisdom. Honestly, as I thought about this, uh, it's not an understatement to say that the things that I'm going to say to you this morning 
are some of the most important things that I or anyone will ever say to you in your life. And please, if you don't know me, then I understand how that could come across. Um, But I don't say it lightly or with any pride in myself. It's simply, this is simply what the scriptures teach. And I'm just someone doing my very best to uh, relay this faithfully. And so um, really, if you want to be wise according to God and his word, then what we are discussing today is absolutely primary. Okay, it's absolutely primary. It doesn't come straight from Proverbs, but instead it should be like a New Testament lens through which we interpret the wisdom of Proverbs, but really the entire Bible. It comes from 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1. Really, it's shot through, but we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, but before we get into it, let's take a moment to pray for God's help because we need it. And by we need it, I mean I really need it. So let's pray. Father, we do praise you this morning for your goodness and grace. Thank you for all of the many blessings of life that you have so mercifully poured out to us. But most of all, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that though we were alienated and hostile in mind toward you, you loved us and you sent your own son to rescue us from ourselves. Lord, my only prayer this morning would be that the the specific means of your saving power and wisdom would be laser clear this morning. In the New Testament, your Holy Spirit-inspired letters tell us that we cannot afford to be wrong when it comes to our topic this morning. The way that you chose, God, sovereignly, the way that you chose to reconcile us, to restore us back to yourself, to redeem us, it's necessary for our faith to be distinctly Christian. And so, Lord, please, please help me. It's so simple and yet so profound. God, don't let me botch this. Don't let me rely on my own oratory ability. Holy Spirit, please, please do your miraculous work of softening hearts and opening spiritual eyes to the wonder of the gospel today that more men and women may come to truly know the love of Christ and to live for Christ to the glory of God. I pray all this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. All right. Well, let's not waste any time in getting down to business. If I were to paint this picture with a really broad brush, here's the first thing that I um, would say that needs to be understood by you and me and all people who have ever lived. Okay, here it is. Um, We have a problem. We have a problem. 
every one of us. And our problem is the same problem because it's an inherited problem. It's a hereditary problem. The problem began with our very first father and mother at the beginning of time, the first man, the first woman, Adam and Eve. And you might have an idea of where I'm going with this, but let me read a few things to you just to orient us biblically, okay? God made everything in the entirety of the known and unknown universe at the macro level and at the micro level. He made it all for a singular purpose, his own glory, his own glory. And over and above all of creation, God made one being to share a lot of attributes with himself. The way the Bible says it is that he made mankind in his own image. Now, uh, that's its own sermon, okay? Um, but suffice it to say that God made men and women to be image bearers, little reflections of his unique glory uh, on the earth. And that went really well for a very short time. Um, Adam and Eve began to be fruitful and, and multiply and subdue the earth and cultivate it, having dominion over all of the other creatures. But, but God gave them just one rule, one thing that they were not to do. In uh, Genesis 2, 16 and 17, we see that. It says, uh, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God gives Adam and Eve full reign over everything, tons of freedom to live and enjoy the, the beautiful world that he had made, um, specifically in this garden that was their home. But, but God said, um, all the trees, they have fruit, you can eat of it for sustenance, Except one tree, okay, in the middle of the garden, that's a special tree. Don't eat, don't eat off of that one, okay? Well, shortly thereafter, we learn that God, while he is in total sovereign control over all things, he actually has an enemy. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how that enemy comes about, though it does allude to some of the, the key details. The enemy's name is Satan. He's referred to elsewhere as the devil. And what you need to know about him is that he is a spiritual being like an angel who rebelled against God and now hates and opposes God and tries to the best of his ability to destroy all of the good things that God has made. And in Genesis 3, Satan takes the form of a snake. How does he do that? I don't know. It's creepy, right? But he slithers up and he takes aim at ruining the thing that God made that would cause the most pain and the most difficulty and the most brokenness. He takes aim at humanity, at us. And so the way that he does this is he begins to lie and to tempt Eve to not trust God. 
and instead to become suspicious of God and to doubt that God had her best interest at heart over the whole um, tree she couldn't eat from thing, right? And so they go back and forth, and Eve starts out by telling Satan that God has forbidden her and Adam from eating of the tree because if they do, God says they'll die. And here's what happens next in Genesis chapter 3. It says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. And this is the start of our shared problem. Okay? Obviously, you look around the world and throughout history and you think, well, (laughs) there's a lot of problems. But God's word tells us that this one is the underlying one, it's underneath everything else. It's called sin. And really, it's just um, sin is. Any instance where people do what Eve did in that awful moment in the garden, where instead of trusting and obeying God, she went contrary to what God had said in an attempt to be her own God. That problem has infected the entirety of the human race, and it's lurking in every single one of our hearts. There is not a soul in this room who could say that they have not done exactly what Eve did because they inherited Eve's nature. And so here's how I've said it in your notes, if you're following along. From the beginning of time, the human problem has been clear. All humanity desires to be good, great, grounded, and gratified without God. And it leads to death. It leads to death. I was just talking to a dear uh, older saint this week whose wife passed last year. And we were talking about how difficult the grief is that accompanies death when it takes someone who we love so deeply. And he and I, as he was sharing with me through tears, we took great comfort together in the fact that biblically speaking, while death is normative, it is not natural. Do you know that? While death is normative, it is not natural. God did not start creation off with the desire for people to die. It only happens now as a result of sin. Death is just the recurring painful reminder that we have the sin problem that we have. Okay, That, that first of all, we try to be good without God. That is, though God has given us clear commands in His Word and consciences within us, right? The Bible says God has written his law on our hearts. That's a conscience, right? He's given us these things, okay, Um, that that we're meant to operate based on, uh, this perfect system of right and wrong, okay? We all decide that we're going to 
make up our own morality instead. (laughs) Because of sin, we intuitively know that we're not able to be good according to God's standards. And so instead of going humbly to God to help us, we craft our own new systems of morality, right? Uh, Maybe that looks like, uh, we're like, well, I'll just stay away from the big sins, right? Murder, adultery, theft, you know, Um, maybe just grand theft. That's all right. Uh, Anyway, uh, (laughs) just kidding. Okay, or or, or maybe, maybe it looks like Slapping a, a thick coat of, you know, religious church attendance over all of the immoral things that we think, say, and do throughout the week, right? But whatever it is, we all have this inward sense. Search your heart, friend, because you have it. We all have this inward sense of needing to feel justified. And so we tend to, here's what we tend to do, we tend to manufacture our own rules for how that happens, and then we award ourselves a gold medal for perfectly following up, following our, our made-up morality. Okay. That's how we try to be good without God. But on top of that, we also try to be great without God. You're like, what's the difference? Okay, let me tell you the difference, okay? We also try to be great without God. That is, while God offered to us the most amazing position in the universe of being his image bearers, we decide to try other ways to exalt ourselves. Maybe it's through accomplishments in school or in our work, trying to be the top dog, right? Or maybe it's by trying to create the perfect little uh, Instagram-worthy family. Or maybe it's just by being a one-upper. You know what I mean. Whenever someone else does something good or cool, you come along and try to say how something you did was cooler and better. Side note, everyone secretly hates it when you do that. (laughs) Just some free advice, okay? Anyway... So um, we try to be good, we try to be great without God. Or in other words, we try to justify ourselves and we try to exalt ourselves apart from God. But wait, there's more. We also try to be grounded without God. Again, um, while there's no greater security in the universe than having the eternal and all-powerful God as our Father, Can you be more secure than that? (laughs) No, there's no greater security than that. But we try to use other things to make ourselves feel grounded. Maybe, um, as Matt talked about in his sermon on greed last week, maybe a high salary is what you look to to make yourself feel safe. Or maybe you're just a control freak all around who tries to make um, all of your surroundings and, and all of your circumstances exactly what you think they should be so you can feel like all is right in your own little world. Or maybe you use something like fitness. You know, not, not that being in good shape is bad. Actually, it's a good thing. God has given us a physical body and we should take care of ourselves. Okay, But when we make that an idol that we use to make ourselves feel like the strongest, most capable, 
perhaps invincible person. Something's off with that. Or maybe we just use intellect and knowledge to make us feel superior to everyone else. And like, you know, the the, the more that we know just about stuff in general, the safer and more protected we are from the unknown. These are all ways we try to be grounded without God. But finally, sin also leads us to try to be gratified without God. We endlessly seek fulfillment through pleasure and things like food and sex and travel and material possessions to the detriment of our own souls. Okay? Because deep down, we know there's a void in us that we are trying desperately to satiate. But no matter what we fill it with, it keeps gobbling everything up and wanting more. Right? Uh, we're, we're happy for a moment with that new house, new car, new phone, new trip, new job, new spouse, new whatever. But then the new wears off and we start looking for something else to gratify us. But no matter what we use, it won't work because God has made us as his image bearers to only be ultimately fulfilled by a right relationship with him. Okay. And this is the extent of our problem. The foundational problem under all human problems because of sin, humanity desires and attempts to be good, great, grounded and gratified without God. And don't forget this part, it leads to death. It leads to death. Life lived apart from God Leads to death. Proverbs 16.25. Here's a proverb for you. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So just like Adam and Eve did, we do too. We try to forge our own way in life, and we don't look to God for what he has to say to us. And as a result, everyone dies because Well, everyone sins. We're all sinners who try to have good, great, grounded, and gratified life on our own. But the reality is, no matter how well you do at that, because let's just be real, okay? Some do better than others, don't they? (laughs) Some people kind of nail all that. Some of you type A'ers, right? Like, you look like you've got it all together. Good, great, grounded, and gratified. No God, but anyway, so... Some of us do better at that than others. But the truth is, every single one of us is going to die. No matter how good of a person you try to be, no matter how successful you become, how safe you might feel, or how much pleasure you get on this side of eternity, death is coming for you and me and all of us. Psalm 49 hits the nail on the head here. It says, Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. 
that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. Though they called lands by their own names, man and his pomp will not remain. He's like the beasts who perish. Here's my translation. Um, It doesn't matter if your name is Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. One day, you're going to stop breathing. And all that you achieved will go away. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. Okay. And then someone, maybe your family is going to bury your body in the ground. Or they'll incinerate it because it's cheaper. If that sounds morbid or uncomfortable, that's because it is. It is. Death was not God's original plan. It's not natural. It happens Because of our sin problem. Death is the just penalty for our disregarding and dishonoring God instead of living every second of our lives for his glory like he created us to do. Right? However, man, aren't you so glad there's a however? (laughs) However, God in his kindness has offered a simple solution to anyone humble enough to receive it. The cross. Christ crucified. Martin Luther said, No man understands the scriptures unless he be acquainted with the cross. J.C. Ryle goes further than that. He says, This is no mere question of controversy. This is not one of those points on which men may agree to differ and feel that differences will not shut them out of heaven. A man must be right on this subject or he's lost forever. Heaven or hell, happiness or misery, life or death, blessing or cursing in the last day, all hinges on the answer to this question. What do you think of the cross of Christ? So let me tell you what your Bible says about the cross. Let's read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. 
But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that, get this, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There's a lot here, but let me tell you the core of it. If you want true wisdom, then the most important thing for you to understand is the cross. If you want true wisdom, the most important thing for you to understand is the cross, because the cross, or more specifically, Jesus Christ, the Son of God crucified, is God's wise solution to our collective sin problem. And if you're thinking, well, that's a bit weird, then you're exactly who the Apostle Paul was writing this passage of Scripture for. Did you see that in the passage? Paul, Paul says this. He says, the cross may seem obscure and offensive to people who want to be justified by their own strength and intellect. You follow me? The cross may seem obscure and offensive to people who want to be justified by their own strength and intellect. He identifies two main groups in this passage, Jews and Greeks. And while that may not seem immediately applicable, let me tell you why it is. Okay, uh, Because the Jews and the Greeks of the first century, they really encapsulate two groups of people that everyone falls into. All right, Let's talk about the Jews first. The Jews were incredibly religious. Okay, The Jews were very religious. And so they wanted a Messiah, a king, a savior, who was going to come with great earthly authority to tell them how great they were for their religiosity and then to conquer Rome for them so that the world would see that they are really superior to everyone else because of their religious heritage. Okay, and so for Jesus to come, <laughs> for Jesus to come as a normal man who was a poor carpenter by trade and say that he was their Lord and their Savior, the king they'd been waiting for, that was offensive to the Jews. That was very offensive to the Jews. And then for him to be hung on a Roman cross. How could this guy save anyone else if he himself was killed by the Roman government? Pontius Pilate, who actually gave the order for Jesus to be crucified, I love this, he put a sign on the cross over Jesus that said, King of the Jews. The Jewish people were like, no, don't write that, right? Because they were offended. 
offended by Jesus' claims of deity because he did not fit the bill for what they thought their Messiah should be. Not to mention, if you've read the Gospels, (laughs) Jesus did not come into the world praising the Jews like they wanted. He came preaching for them to repent of their sin. And they didn't appreciate that because they thought that their Jewishness was all that they needed to be saved, right? Guys, if you're not making the connection, let me just tell you, there are still a lot of people like the first century Jews today, okay? People who call themselves Christians even, who think that their religious observances make them right with God. They think that their good behavior is going to get them into heaven one day. They think that their own moral strength will earn their ticket into the kingdom of God. They think because they said, darn, and shoot, instead of, and, right? And, like, and, they, and they never drank beer, Right? And they watched Veggie Tales instead of SpongeBob. And because they memorized uh, Bible verses instead of rap lyrics, okay, That's, that Jesus is going to be impressed with them. But the cross shows us that they could not be more wrong. If you think that you are good enough to be saved because of anything that you have done, then let me just tell you, the Bible says, by works of the law, no one will be saved. Because God's law, when it's read correctly, reveals that we are all sinners who have fallen terribly short of his glory. No matter how religious or spiritual you are, it's not enough to save you. No amount of prayers or good deeds or worship services will save you. No amount of money that you give to the church will be enough to save you. No amount of listening to Caleb in the car will save you. Sending your kids to Christian school or camp will not save you or them. Dressing modestly, being an honest person, paying it forward, your grandpa being a pastor, your mom's water breaking at a church potluck on Easter Sunday, or your first word being Jesus. None of that will save you. Listen, you need the cross. You need the cross. If you could earn your salvation, then Christ was crucified for nothing. And I assure you, God is not stupid. He did not let his son die for nothing. It's because we need the cross. It's because we need the cross. But maybe like, you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Veggie Tales? What's that? Um, 
don't worry about it. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> maybe you are or were the opposite of religious. Maybe you're more like the Greeks, right? Maybe you think that intellect and knowledge and worldly wisdom um, for having a good and comfortable life is what's most important. Um, maybe you think that religion isn't wrong per se, but that really all the world religions are basically the same. Isn't that what Oprah says or whatever? Like, it's really just about being a nice person to others. Maybe you think, you know, you just do good or like send out good vibes into the universe that <laughs> Mother Earth or karma will take care of you and all your wish dreams will come true. And if you think that, teach his own. But if you think that, then all this yelling that I'm doing about the bloody cross of a Middle Eastern carpenter probably seems pretty strange and obscure to you. And like you'd rather be doing something else right now. Can I just tell you that God intended for it to feel that way? Did you see that in the passage? God intended for it to be that way. That's what 1 Corinthians 1 says, that God uses what seems weak and foolish and weird to the world as the way to be saved so that no one is able to boast that they came up with something clever to orchestrate their own salvation. So, the cross may seem obscure and offensive to people who want to be justified by their own strength and their own intellect. But for those who believe the gospel, the cross is the profoundly wise and only way unto salvation. Faith in the death of Christ on our behalf is what secures God's gracious gift of eternal life. Amen. Friends, if you hear nothing else I say this morning, if you've resolved in your heart and mind to never come back here again, please hear this. The cross, Jesus Christ crucified, is the doorway to your salvation. The cross, Jesus Christ crucified is the doorway to your salvation, friend. Listen to what Bible scholar D.A. Carson says about the cross. He says both God's love and God's wrath are ratcheted up and the move from Old Testament to the New. These themes barrel along through redemptive history, unresolved, and until they come to a resounding climax at the cross. He's saying that in the Bible, we see that, that God seems to have a contradiction of commitments in the Old Testament. Truly. If you'll read the Old Testament, you will see this. On one hand... Right? We read that God loves his people and he desires for them to be his prized possession for all eternity. That's one truth. God loves his people. But on the other hand, 
God is rigorously committed to his own glory and the just wrath that must fall on sinners who would dare not to trust him. So if something radical doesn't happen to reconcile these seemingly conflicting realities, then then God is going to have to compromise. He's either going to have to destroy the people that he loves, or he's going to have to unjustly sweep his people's sin under the rug so that he can be with them. But in the cross, in the cross, God displays his divine wisdom of becoming both perfectly just and the gracious justifier of sinners in need of grace. Guys, this is, this is fundamental to the Christian gospel. I don't know what anyone else has ever told you about Christianity, but this is it. It's called penal substitutionary atonement. Let me describe that for you. We deserve to pay the penalty for our own sin. But in his death on the cross, Christ became our perfect substitute. And the shedding of his blood paid for our atonement. That is, his sacrifice secured our forgiveness. Verse 30 says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You see, for anyone who looks to the cross, anyone, I mean anyone, yes, you, for anyone who looks to the cross and places their faith in Jesus as their crucified Savior and King, something really mysterious happens. I've struggled to articulate this for years, but I'm just going to tell you. Something mysterious happens when you place your faith in Christ crucified. You enter into union with Christ. When you place your faith in Christ crucified, you become in Christ. Get your digital Bible out right now and type in, in Christ. See how many times it comes up? A lot. (laughs) Because the cross, friends, secures our union with Christ. Right? And in that union, secured by grace alone through faith, the results of verse 30 happen. (laughs) Christ credits his righteousness to our account. All his righteousness dumped into your spiritual bank account, friend. Wow. That's the first thing. Then we begin to grow in practical holiness ourselves because God in love, when we place our faith in Christ, in love he pours the Holy Spirit into our hearts. That's what Romans 5 says. And then we begin to naturally obey God with the help of his Holy Spirit just like Jesus did. And then ultimately... This is the process of our redemption. 
Maybe these terms sound familiar to you. This is the process of our redemption where we go from being sinners to saints, from enemies of God to friends of God, from lost to found, from orphans to adopted children of God, from sojourners to citizens who belong to the eternal kingdom of Christ. And the only way, the only way for all of that to happen, the only way for you to be saved is the cross. When you place your faith, that is your trust, in the death of Christ on your behalf, that and that alone is what will secure for you God's gracious gift of eternal life. (laughs) Listen to these beautiful verses in light of what I've just shared with you, and then we'll close. Colossians 1 says, For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. John 3, yeah, I know you know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whoever, believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 14 says, Jesus says this himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I tacked this one on last minute. It's incredible. 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah, speaking of Christ, wrote this. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And get this, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, that is Jesus, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. So, What do you think about the cross? Just one question. On this whole time, one question I want you to consider. What do you think about the cross of Christ? Have you ever noticed that um, the cross is in the middle of our sanctuary right here? You see that? It's the focal point. On the other side of that wall, 
there's a 10-foot-tall backlit cross on the front of our building. Let me tell you why that is. It's because the cross is central to biblical Christianity. The cross is central to biblical Christianity. Friend, let me tell you one more time. You might be religious. You might be spiritual. Or you might be smart. You might be very successful, more successful than me. You might be strong. You might be rich. You might be popular. But if the cross is not at the center of your faith, then one thing that you are not is a Christian. Dear listener, I'm pleading with you. I I am absolutely pleading with you. Examine your heart and your life today. If prior to this morning, you have truly understood the message of the cross, and you're now living as a blood-bought son or daughter of God, then in just a few moments, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Okay, we're going to take communion together. And if you have understood the cross before today, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to come up to the Lord's table. I want you to take the bread and take the cup and go back to your seat. And I want you to praise God. (laughs) I want you to praise God as you eat and drink and humbly consider how Christ died, having his body broken and his blood poured out to absorb the wrath that you rightly deserve so that you could come into union with him by the power of the gospel and to be made righteous and blameless in the gift of eternal life. But if you have not understood the message of the cross until today, here's what I would ask of you. Will you trust Jesus Christ? as your Lord and Savior today. Will you? Will you look to the cross? And will you repent of your sin? And will you begin following Jesus today? Please, friend, I'm begging you. There is salvation nowhere else except the blood of Jesus' cross. Christ was crucified for you. He was crucified for you. That you might walk through the doorway of this gospel and receive the free gift of eternal life by grace alone. And one day soon, at a time that we don't expect, he's going to return because um, we'll talk about this mainly next week on Easter, but... While he laid his life down for you, three days later, he took it up again. (laughs) Jesus did not just die. He defeated death, proving that he was indeed the Son of God, as he had said. And once either he returns or you face death, your opportunity will be gone. Every knee will bow 
and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Why not do it willingly today? As opposed to forcefully at the return of Christ. What's stopping you, friend? What's stopping you? You can have salvation this very hour. This very hour. Just place your faith in Christ crucified. If you'd like to talk or or pray about that, myself or any of our leaders would be more than happy to do that with you. Maybe you've been like living your life thinking you're a Christian all along, but you're like, ah, did not understand that. That's okay. Praise God. Praise God for that. There is no shame in that. We would love to begin walking with you the genuine Christian life of dependence upon Christ and his cross. I'm going to pray, and then we'll have the Lord's Supper up front. If you'd like to partake and you feel ready to do that today, we invite you to join us. If not, it's okay to sit. It really is. Or if you'd like to pray, we'd love to do that for you as well. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you for your amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. God, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And I know that that is the testimony of many of the men and women in here. But God, we pray for more. We pray that through the preaching of your gospel, through the proclamation of your cross, that people would go from death to life. God, I pray perhaps there are men or women in here today who that's true for. If it is, I pray that they would not leave here today, that they would talk to somebody about what it means to really begin genuinely following Christ as their Savior and their Lord and their King and their friend. But God, for those of us who have trusted, God, I pray that this would now be a sweet time of obedience for us as we come to your table and we consider your death on our behalf and as we long for your return when we're going to sit around your table in the kingdom of God and celebrate and worship you forever with no more pain and no more tears. God, we can't wait for that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. It's in your name I pray. Amen.